Hi, everybody. If you're listening to this, you probably know that this podcast is not medical advice. You should also know that in this episode, we talk about adult reproductive functions. We talk about it in a mostly medical way, but if you're listening in your office or at work or with kids around, it might be one that you put on your headphones for. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Bain. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Too Much Goo, a review of men's hairstyles in the 90s. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Jackson's hot tub cleaning experience oh. this, uh, earlier this afternoon. Oh, oh wait, that needs more explanation. It, it was just... <laughs> no, no, that sounded horrible. <laughs> it no. was just the guy came to service it. That's not better. No. Anyway, no, that was way worse. <laughs> it was a lot of brown goo. Uh, anyway, this is Hi Everybody, a Bad Medicine podcast. Every week we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. With us this week, we have a frequent guest, Dr. Greg Winter. What's up, everyone? Okay. And, oh, wait. I'm sorry. Hi, everybody. It's the <laughs> name of the show. There's two rules. Don't touch the table and say the name of the show. I, I got it back there. Uh, and uh, uh, new to the show, Dr. Nisha Shah. Hi, everybody. I am, a lot, as my husband likes to say, I like to ingratiate myself to everybody, so I want to make this perfect for you. <laughs> Bad news. I'm the one editing it, and it won't be. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, so, what is, so uh, Greg is a uh, palliative care doctor, as we've spoken of before. What is your specialty? I am a, um, I originally trained in pediatrics, but I specialized in allergy and immunology, so I also see adults and kids, and I hope to add a new perspective for you guys. You can find this podcast online at HiEverybodyMD.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HiEverybodyMD. Yep, and you can also reach us via our hotline at 850-DOCTORB. The B is for bling, as in hotline bling. Oh, God. Uh, so I already cringed twice in this episode. It's horrible. So, and it's it's kind of fitting that Nisha's here for this episode because we are actually talking about another house episode this week. And yes, it's called Safe. Yeah, episode 16, sixteen of season two. Yep. I'm curious, how are you guys picking your episodes of House? Just because they all have to do with my, I mean, like, what's making you focus on one versus any other? Because she's here. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> Let, I, I guess you were just saying that, and I interrupted. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's not Thanks coincidental. Yeah, that we picked this one. No, it is not coincidental at all. Um, the main reason why is it's about uh, this teenage girl who was a recent heart transplant recipient, Michelle Trachtenberg. Michelle, from Tra- Buffy. yep, or Pete and Pete, or Harriet the Spy, whatever or, you uh, want. Euro Trip. Yes, that's actually a good one. That's a great movie. That it's is actually so a really good. good one. Future episode, maybe. I Scotty think. doesn't know. We can just watch it. Yeah, we don't have to talk about everything. We <laughs> is this watch. how does this get made now? <laughs> But um, she recently got a heart transplant. They kept her in a clean room, but her teenage boyfriend comes in and sneaks in mm-hmm. um, to meet her, and then she goes and gets anaphylactic. Yeah, which is the tie-in. Overall thoughts on the episode as a piece of TV? I love House. It's hard to not like it. It's been a long time since I watched it. We were kind of reminiscing about how probably it helped us all, in some respects, get through med school and just the insane testing that is associated with it but it's also horrendous it's really bad it's it's like entertainingly bad it's just like i think not everything that can go wrong keeps going wrong i think you said it best he is so confident and so wrong (laughs) so so often until the last 
six minutes of the episode where yeah. he violates someone. He's he's <laughs> as rude to everyone when he's right as when he is wrong. And since the episode doesn't, I mean, this is every episode of House. It only resolves in the last ten minutes, so that means there is forty-four minutes of him just being wrong. Yeah. Pure nonsense, and also just I got through medical school watching the show, <laughs> and I. Pretty sure I watched this particular episode, and I definitely have a different perspective now. But is this what inspired you to become an allergy and immunologist? <laughs> I would love to say yes, but I'm going to go with the no. But the one thing House gets right is that when you're in training, when you're learning, they he loves his differential diagnosis, and he puts it all up on that board, Lupus. and he goes through why everyone around him is wrong about what they're thinking, and everybody is saying the completely wrong thing, because that's how it's scripted. But this episode definitely is right up my alley, for sure. Yeah. Now, and from, from those yes. of us in the room mm-hmm. who are me, uh, differential, <laughs> di- yes. uh, differential diagnosis. A differential diagnosis is basically when you're learning about how to diagnose something with what is wrong with them, you have to come up with alternate theories. So you're basically coming up with like your four best theories about what you think is wrong with someone or right, or whatever you think is happening in this particular situation medically, and so we call it a differential. So anytime you write a note about someone or you talk about a patient, you have to say, number one, this is what I think is going on, but if I'm wrong, which is highly likely, um, there are three other options, which are probably true. It's basically like your typical multiple choice test question. Well, it's like when you're when a patient is coming in, mm-hmm. you don't have all the information, they are presenting in a certain way, you get as much as you can, you start doing tests, and it's like, based on the information we have now, we think it's this, it could also be this, or this, or this. I or mean, e-lupus. Or e- also in a house episode. It's always, always lupus. lupus. So, yeah. <laughs> always. Or just I Oh, God. I didn't see, I, I wasn't watching when I, when, when I first came in, and so I don't, I didn't see the beginning of the episode and how the differential broke down, uh-huh. but I'm wondering, like, if you just watched a house episode back-to-back, like, twice in a row... Uh-huh. Is he like? Is it the first thing that he says is right all the time, or is never. it no? Never. Okay. No. 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 Not even that last. No, because the first thing he said in this one was the uh, the S thing that I didn't know. Some kind of um. So I'm scrolling to later. Showgrins. Showgrins? Show, yeah, Showgrins. He started with Showgrins. No. It, it was, he it said was, something that sounded like it, but I was saying no, it wasn't that. He said something, but some, I, I want to aneurysm. Just, is yeah, what some said. aneurysm, which didn't make any sense. But can um, we go back? A little yeah, bit. I want to go yeah. way, way back. Uh, so actually, before the anaphylactic shock, uh, Michelle Trachten. This character had a name, and I apologize, but she's Michelle Trachtenberg and Michelle Trachtenberg's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boyfriend sneezed when he looks at bright lights. Apparently that's a thing that people do. Is yes. that just a thing that people do, or is that could that have been indicative of something? It's a thing that people do. Yeah. People. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm sure that it has. A but name. it was his excuse to continue to see his girlfriend because the girlfriend's mother is a hypochondriac slash crazy mother mm-hmm. of a munchies. person. Her daughter did just have a heart. Who had a heart transplant? <laughs> so he was like, "No, I'm not sick." He's trying to convince oh, okay. his girlfriend's mother that he's not sick, so he's going to say whatever he can say. To be like, to explain away his sneeze. Yeah. And that is, though the light always makes me sneeze, no big deal. I can totally continue to make out and have sex with your daughter. So that is. As long as he keeps the mask yes. on, which is the rules. Um, I've never seen anyone fuddle around with an EpiPen as bad as that guy. Yeah. It, it's like him, I wonder what it's like with like condoms for that guy. Like, Well, he, he doesn't wear them. We learned oh, that later in the episode. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> can I just say, I feel like most people, when if they've never seen an EpiPen or an epinephrine, 
auto injector, which nice. Jackson Ooh. mentioned. Quality. If you're in that stressful situation where you think someone's having an attack and they're dying, you're supposed to be the hero. It is very difficult if you've never been trained or shown how to use one. Can, I, fo- can I follow up with one thing? Why did the mom stab her in the knee then? Uh, <laughs> we could, uh, so when I was uh, doing after school camps, I was trained with a fake plastic EpiPen. Good. And Epi, fake epi my roommates all Excellent. the freaking time. I will say, we used to play with those fake auto injectors, the trainers, like our, my fellowship. We had a whole box of them, so we would take off the safety so that we could pretend mm-hmm. to fence each other, and if we stabbed each other and it went off, that's how we know we won. Because we're quality DR doctors. <laughs> so you gotta fill the time somehow. You're yeah, it gets real life. boring. You just get those fake trainers and just try to stab each other. Did you, like, eventually move on to, like... The real thing? A, like, dueling with, uh, I don't know, tongue depressors? <laughs> that is, that's basic that's a step stuff. Okay. Step really? that Did that really... What? I, I went through an entire fellowship in allergy immunology and I never got to use my EpiPen. No, it was like the fake oh, trainer. The trainer? Fake trainer. Oh, I thought yeah, real one. I'm not legitimate. I'm a little confused there, dude. I was like, oh, you know, those that's not- hardcore. How come hardcore. That's such a fast heart like, That is hardcore, Jackson. And I was like, whoa. Like pneumothoracies. Oh, my God. Okay. Yes, trainers, of yeah. course. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I kind of like, yeah. I, like I, I assumed yeah. way more than I should have. Yeah. I, we all know Jackson. You're 50 uh, I have a question. So the only the only times that I have seen anaphylaxis is depicted in a movie like this. So mm-hmm. Jackson is in the ER. You probably have seen some actual anaphylaxis. Yeah, for sure. And Nisha is an immune allergy allergist and immunologist. So you have how does this stack up to like what you actually see in real life when I'm, she's like ha- when she was going through that? So normally first attack. I don't see them like that fresh all the time. Though I will see them come into the ER newly exposed to something mm-hmm. so usually their face is pretty puffy but ems if they came in by ambulance should have given them something already at that point but usually they're complaining of wheezing they're throwing up a bunch um, their lips or their tongue is super swollen <laughs> they can't hold on to their stuff you know that kind of thing so the first anaphylactic scene we saw uh-huh. i think the order that we saw it go through was she was itching as he came in yeah. And then there were visible hives. Yeah. And then this is something you both noticed that wouldn't be accurate necessarily, was she got super active thrashing around as she was. The you, you, I think... I think sometimes people panic because yeah, they can't okay. breathe. But I also, that's what I'm asking. I'm, that's, you're re-asking they that. Kinda have, yeah, they kind of have... I was just going through the list of... Uh, of I will say, they will have the bug out eyes, where it looks like they can't breathe and their eyes just kind of bulge out of their head but they're not thrashing around at least from what i've seen they're usually just trying to breathe more than anything i don't know what nisha sees in her clinic i will say that so to answer greg's question so we (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you (laughs) so um as an allergist immunologist we actually in our clinic we sort of inadvertently induce anaphylaxis sometimes because we are doing things to patients to desensitize them to things that they are allergic to. So part of my job existing in clinic is to be there to treat anaphylaxis because sometimes we may be desensitizing someone to something they're allergic to, so we're giving them shots, little amounts of what they're allergic to, and so sometimes we might see them at the very initial points of anaphylaxis, which could be something as simple as, itchy palms itchy feet like they might feel a little weird like the the sense of (laughs) impending doom which is what they ask people for and we will we will definitely get back to that greg i definitely want to 
<laughs> go back to that. But to answer Greg's question, no, sometimes you you basically have to just see what the patient's doing and like if they're not acting like themselves, confused, not talking, completely just out of it, yes, you're you're gonna be like, we gave you something that you're potentially allergic to, which I have the benefit of knowing, which Jackson may not. Nope. And um, and then yes, of course, we will definitely treat as we're supposed to with epinephrine, and we will have it ready. It's a very controlled situation. Whereas with Jackson being an emergency medicine physician, may not have any clue no, what could problem. be coming into these his are, these are ER. Such full and I love it. <laughs> so often. ER doctors think things are allergic reactions when they're not. How dare you? Which we see all the time. Yeah. The ER doctor told me I had an allergic hate. reaction to something. And we're like, nope, maybe not. So My defense would be, I don't know what's going on when you come in and you're not breathing. <laughs> if you have hives or you have two systems involved yeah. in our head, we go anaphylaxis. Yeah. We break out. We actually, in our department, we actually just use EpiPens. We don't measure them out anymore. Yeah. Because it's a lot easier and a lot faster to get. Jackson's oh, like, job is to keep you alive. Yeah. And yeah. if Jackson says, okay, you're here. I think you're having an allergic reaction. I'm going to treat you that way. My job is to keep you alive. I don't I don't need to know anything about your backstory. Yeah. There, you, that is not important to me. If you made it to Nisha's yeah. clinic from my ER, <laughs> yes. I did my job. <laughs> exactly. So, so Greg, my, my answer to that question is very different from what you may see in an episode of House. But... My opinion will be, ju- I will be judging. <laughs> yeah, we will be judging, Jack. Oh, how did this guy think it was an allergic What reaction? the hell? Yeah. But yes. Don't so the fact that a patient made it to my clinic is Jackson did his job. Fair enough. Right? The patient that. is alive. They made it to see me. And we're gonna, my we are going to figure <laughs> this out. Yeah. And if in the process I may say you don't need to be here, then that's great. Because I'm, you're still alive. I will say I make very few referrals to allergy immunology. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that, that's not the next step after the ER. <laughs> it's very rare. I usually say go see a regular doctor or make a referral to see someone. Maybe we'll talk about this later, but I'm curious because of what you do in the clinic, like the airway management in this episode is very poor. Oh, yes. Do you guys have, I mean, What's are reverse? you ready to intubate? Are you like, what? what do you have ready if you're potentially inducing... An anaphylactic reaction in somebody. In most in most cases of known anaphylaxis, you don't need to intubate because you are you are catching it before there's any airway involvement. You know what's happening. You perceive the patient's going to tell you they're itchy, and like you're going to treat it right away. So we don't. To answer your question, we don't have crash carts. We're not in the ER. But yes, we have to call nine one one just like everybody else. I will say, as in which rarely happens. Uh, I never. If call ever. 911. Not ever. But you're a hospice doctor, right? <laughs> um, but uh, we rarely intubate people with... It's hard to intubate someone oh, who yeah, has anaphylaxis yeah. because their airway is all swollen. That's right. So you have to use a very small tube if you need to do it. And it's tough. Don't, don't you do it. So... Also, it's very hard to ventilate somebody whose like, airways are like spasming and contracted. Right, Jackson? Like, you mm-hmm. can't get the air in. Mm-hmm. Like, you definitely don't want to intubate those patients. But to answer your question, Greg, like... You're right. You you definitely want to get people like Jackson involved early. People who know how to handle very emergent situations where you need to treat breathing issues and things like that. So anytime you're in a doctor's office, you're not in an emergency room. You need to be able to call 911, access it, be next to a hospital like we are. Like you you definitely need to like transfer that patient to somebody who can handle that with oxygen, intubate them, put them in a setting where they can be treated. 
which is why when you get allergy shots or you're in an allergy clinic getting desensitized, you have to be very close to a place where you can get treatment like that. That's why you don't get those things at home. So, Can I just go home and do my allergy desensitization? <laughs> <laughs> so supposedly the allergic reaction happened when Michelle Trachtenberg was in a clean room. It was her bedroom, but they had access restrictions. So people came in wearing a mask. There were no open windows. They presumably wiped things down. There was a lot of stuff there. Would it really be considered a clean room? Would, would you call it a clean it's room? It's clean to her. Yeah. Because it's all her stuff. So technically, it can be considered a clean room. Okay. But, you know, it's TV. That's right. It's, it's more dramatic because it's real hard to be a boyfriend that climbs in the window of a hospital as opposed to somebody's bedroom. But it's clean to her. In, in but you can hospital, do anything if you believe in yourself. Right. <laughs> in the hospital, when they have those clean setups, you, I mean, they have, they have negative pressure doors so that, mm-hmm. you know, things can't even blow in the room. The problem is in the hospital, there's a ton of sick people around. So if you are immunocompromised, it may be a better idea to, if you have, if you can have a setup like she has, it may be better for you to not be in an actual hospital. Or if you're in an actual hospital and it happens to be Princeton General or whatever. Princeton Placeboro. Princeton Placeboro. Uh, your doctors and family can all come in wearing gowns, but no mask and no gloves. That's the most important part. <laughs> it's the gowns, the $5 gowns. I know what Johnny's alluding to. So when we were watching this, I, I was just criticizing the fact that they were in gowns, but no gloves and no masks. And I thought, if this is a contact isolation room in the hospital, should they be wearing gloves and yeah. gowns? But I think, yes, to agree with Jackson, the fact that the mother made a clean room for her daughter in the home is probably true, meaning the fact that her immune system is used to everything that's in her room. But the fact that she was letting this random dude come in and see her who she has no idea where he's been what he's touched what he's been around and exposing all teenage boys (laughs) exactly is not a clean room he is he is contaminating her room as any boyfriend of a teenage daughter would be but in my immunologist's opinion her immune system would not have reacted so quickly to him I mean he was only there for like a few seconds in the scene but Unbeknownst to us, he had been there frequently, so she could have built up a, you know, possible tolerance to her boyfriend, but her immune system is not normal. I I have to be honest, a possible tolerance to me was (laughs) all I generally went for in relation. Thank you. That is what my mother would look for. It seems like you have a possible (laughs) tolerance. Maybe we could go out. (laughs) I feel like that is what I would ask for the future. I think one of the... I don't know if they touch on this because I, wa- I walked into it late, but like, you don't just have an allergy from something. You have to be exposed to something before you have an allergy, right? I think that's what this whole episode is kind of centering on, is that she has a delayed reaction and so no one can understand it from, mm-hmm. from the timeline. And, and they talk through a few things that it could have been. Uh, one of which you, uh, either you or Courtney, who was watching with us, jumped out immediately. They brought up perfume. And that perfume generally would not be... Yes, so so inhaling perfume or being around perfume or smelling it or touching it would not induce anaphylaxis. Really? Really. I mean, it's like... Yes. I'm learning right now. <laughs> I don't mind. I just... Because that's like something that can set off yes. asthma. So you can. It can set off asthma, but you would not get a full-blown 
IgE-mediated immune response that would induce anaphylaxis because there's no... You're just smelling perfume. You're not getting exposed to, like, a full-blown allergic molecule. Like, that's not going to happen. But if you have an underlying state of respiratory, like, issues or asthma, yeah, it might make you wheeze or something like that, but it's not going to be the full-blown explanation for her intense allergic reaction is that this, she has is in this the like scene. mast cell release and all the and histamine stuff or is this different yeah mast cell release histamine like the whole full-blown like jackson and nisha both did much better than me on all of their staff exams so i'm i'm re-remembering the things i learned before i studied the <laughs> interleukins all the stuff all the leukotrienes i'm gonna sit here and just go these are really big words these <laughs> people listening to us right now don't care about these Big words I'm speaking You'd out. be surprised. This is, this is nerdier than usual. <laughs> yeah, this is this got real technical. I'm we go. so nerdy, and Corny told me she was like, "Don't nerd out. Don't nerd out. Don't nerd, nerd out. out. Do nerd out. Do nerd out." The extent of our usual podcast is there needs to be more blood. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, 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 actually, <laughs> from Knives Out, I'm sorry to bring it back to Knives Out, but yes, so a, much another, blood. Another allergy. This one is something that I had no idea existed. You brought up. Allergy to exercise. There is a diagnosis called exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Mm -hmm. You can look it up. Not to be confused with exercise-induced asthma, which is also called EIA. Um, So you can have... There's people who exercise. Wait, there's exercise-induced asthma and anaphylaxis? Yes. And they chose asthma to be the abbreviated one. Yes, they did. EIA, I know. That's discriminatory towards anaphylaxis. I think it's something that they should not abbreviate either one. So, exercise-induced anaphylaxis is is a disease where you basically go into some sort of cardio exercise, and then while you're exercising, you go into anaphylaxis, meaning you have a severe allergic reaction. Your lips swell up, you can't breathe, your throat starts to close up. And most often, it is within four hours of eating something. It doesn't have to be anything in particular, but often it is something you might be slightly allergic to. But you, within four hours of eating something, you exercise, and then you have anaphylaxis. If you exercise outside of that four-hour period, you're fine. It is called exercise-induced anaphylaxis. So my thought while we were watching (laughs) this house episode was... Was she exercising before okay, I, she did this? I thought and you mentioned that it was mostly teenage guys. It is, okay. yes. Actually, yes, Johnny. Yes, you're right. So mostly when you do see these patients, they are teenage males, teenagers who do this. And then once they hit their 30s, 40s, they don't get it anymore. But yes. And we tell them to not exercise alone and to warm up before they exercise, which helps them and not eat Within four hours of exercising. But yes, it is mostly adolescent males that get this. Is it just because once we hit 30s and 40s, we pretty much stop exercising? Pretty much, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That is the statistic. I will have to get back to you on that because I can't for sure say <laughs> now, why. Is there, like, what's the physiological reason that exercise is what's inducing this? Do we know? Is it like the the amped up heart rate combined with with the potential allergens that they've eaten or great question so no one really knows we think it's because when you exercise like you just you rev up some sort of inflammatory process the same reason why i mentioned when some people have exercise induced asthma so like a lot of people suffer from this probably people listening to this podcast 
like Dr. you, Winter does. you yes, right. So yeah, you, yeah. you start working yeah, yeah, yeah. out, you but start working yeah, out, and you you get to a certain heart rate. You yeah, get yeah, you get pumped up. You're you're getting into your cardio, and then you start wheezing. You start coughing. You can't get through your workout. So the same mechanism that gets you through this threshold of working out is the same thing that happens when you exercise and have anaphylaxis. But it's like a it's like a very severe threshold that you have to meet. But we don't know why. But one of the things we've figured out is that. If you've eaten within four hours of exercising, so there's something that has to do with some something with the food you ate. So I can get into this in more detail if this was not just a fun podcast about movies and shows. But you can take anything and make it anyway. Fun. Yeah. So what Doctor Winter is suffering from is sort of related. But yes, we don't know why. To answer your question, Johnny, but. If you warm up and don't eat and you're starving and you exercise, you're probably going to be fine, but maybe not. I don't know. Let's just move on. <laughs> I, my favorite thing that's ever happened on the show just happened, <laughs> which was for the first time someone talked over the jokes to be more informative. <laughs> and I appreciate that so much. You're welcome, Johnny. The, the joke was a good joke. I don't care. Have you, have you not met me before? Like this is what I do. This is what I've done with Greg for years. We were dying. Years. While you were while you were trying to be like very informative and helpful, I made a stupid old. I, mean, I heard them all, but I ignored them. I'm impressed. You've, I was. You've had a lot of good. I have had a lot you've had of so practice. Much training at ignoring the so thing much that I'm practice, John. This is years continuing. of just dealing with. I'm, I'm gonna make the most awkward non sequitur ever. Yeah, do uh, or transition well, ever rather, and uh, <laughs> no, but it's uh, we're getting Sorry. there. Sorry, um, but another thing that we I brought apologize. up, and this one came up in the episode uh-huh. as a possible allergen, mm-hmm. is semen. Mm. Um, by the way, parents, if you're listening with your kids, you should have stopped it about <laughs> seconds ago. The beginning of this episode is semen allergy. I learned today that that's a thing. So yes, semen allergy is a thing, and it surprisingly is very popular whenever I go to conferences, allergy conferences, but yes. Semen allergies get the butts in seats. (laughs) There's always a poster. So if you ever go to a medical conference, there's posters where people present their research and present what they found. A splattering of posters? Yes, a splattering of posters. I would never ask you to steal me a poster from a conference. (laughs) But, however. Does UV light help? help There was a conference I went to where the poster across from me was about a semen allergy but um yes it is true you can be allergic to your partner's semen most often it is a re- repeated partner so someone who you've slept with multiple times it have to be <laughs> right so when you're allergic to something you have to be exposed multiple times to the same protein and semen is full of protein and so often this is something you can encounter it's very rare but when it does happen you need to see an allergist and you get desensitized to that semen so there are people who have gone to allergists who are having sex with a committed partner and they want to continue to have sex with that partner without having allergic reactions so they get desensitized to that you semen you do semen desensitization yes that is a oh thing my God. I'm that so is a happy thing i got to say that that <laughs> is a thing i know i was waiting for someone to say that question how do you desensitize someone to semen? So I, in my practice, I've never done it. I've only read it um, theoretically in journal articles and seen it at conferences. But 
it is done pretty much in the same way that you desensitize to anything else. Um, so you have very small diluted exposures to the thing that you're allergic to. So you would probably dilute the semen and expose your patient in small amounts over a period of time Just like until they can tolerate it. Yes, exactly. You mentioned that it's a specific partner. So you can be allergic, allergic to one person's mm-hmm. sperm or one, I don't know, one blood type worth of that's just me making up something because I'm not a doctor. What's, what's the like smallest unit of something you can be allergic to? Is it like a protein or is it a... So yes. So in general, I'm, I'm it sorry, is a... Pro- no, sorry. No, sorry. No, it's, it, it is in general a protein. So, but, but yes, you can be allergic to like certain chains of carbohydrates, which is very rare, but it's almost always some sort of like secondary or tertiary structure of a protein that you can be allergic to because it's an it's an antibody seeing a structure of a protein. But yes. So yes. And so to answer your question, Greg, yes. Exactly. So but your partner will have a very specific type of protein or carbohydrate that's encasing that sperm or whatever you're trying to desensitize them to. And so yes. But so it is like you could just be one person. I miss you so much. Like, yeah. I, like it, it, it's not you're going to have a general sperm allergy to sperm. To sperm, it's going to be to a specific potentially sperm. One, like to a specific. That's person. how you know you found the one. Yes, is you're willing to go. No, that's how, you, that's, that's, that's how you know to you have not your, found the one. Sorry. So if you are if you are a person who is able to form an allergy to one specific type of sperm, you will most likely form an allergy to another type of sperm. So you are 100% an allergic person to begin with, and then you form an allergy to that type of protein. So you may have one partner, which most of the time when we diagnose a sperm allergy, which is very rare to begin with, it will be to somebody who's married or has a committed partner, and then they may find that they want to have children with that partner and then they need to be desensitized to that sperm to, in order to bear children or whatever or to continue to have sex with that person without dying of anaphylaxis. <laughs> which and is so, always a goal. Which is right? always a great goal, right? So then one would hope if <laughs> they, the, if they left that... Yes, if they left that partner, their next partner would be fine initially. They more than likely would probably develop an allergy to that other sperm and then have to decide if it's worth it to get desensitized to that sperm if they're going to continue to get exposed. If they will not get exposed to that sperm for the foreseeable future, then it's okay. So, I mean, to answer your question, yes, it is, you're most likely somebody who's going to form an allergy and then on repeated exposure, you know, how, to deal how with that. good are you? Like when you do desensitization, like what's your success rate? Do you are you always able to desensitize? Most li- most situation, yes, okay. yes, yes. How long it does de- it take to do it? Ew. It depends on the situation and the the drug or whatever you're desensitizing to. But most of the time, you have to be like admitted to a hospital, probably an ICU setting, because you're monitoring for pretty severe allergic reactions and you're giving them small doses, but. I mean, um, so in, depending on the type of reaction, you can do it in an office if it's not that severe and you can bring them back every other day. So certain antibiotics, we do it where we bring them in every few days and we desensitize them. Sometimes we have to admit them to the hospital. It's all patient dependent, Greg. It's all patient dependent. 
This sounds like a fun office visit. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining the the breakup conversation. It's not you. It's, it's my anaphylactic response. Everybody <laughs> loves the sperm discussion. It's, it's fantastic. You know, when I was in fellowship, they're like, they're like, you know what? You're gonna love this, but. This conference, you're gonna love the sperm discussion. It's gonna be a thing. It's gonna be a thing. Like I don't know what this episode's gonna be titled yet, (laughs) but it's gonna be revolving around that allergy. Um, We're not even talking about the episode we're talking about. Jackson. My my last question, and then we'll move on. Is it a scratch test? Would that be a scratch test? Would you do a scratch test to determine that that's the allergen? So the problem with scratch testing is, um, yes. So yes, ideally you would want a scratch test, but you have to, there's a, there's a point at which when you scratch someone with someone that they may or may not be allergic to is there is an irritant reaction. Mm -hmm. So you have to scratch multiple normal people who you're not considering to be allergic (laughs) To get a baseline. Now this sounds like a fun option. To get a baseline, because if not normal people react to it, then it's an irritant reaction. But if your patient reacts to it, then it might be an allergic reaction. Sounds like a real so sticky situation. You got it. Yes, very sticky. So anytime <laughs> you have to baseline a normal, right? So normies. Yes. So if you have, so you always have to have a baseline test. So, and I'm guessing you generally can't find five you can't, people unless you a have, form. Maybe you have medical students. Medical, no. So, but basically, when you test somebody, you have to test them with what you think they might be allergic to. What is a definite positive allergic reaction, which is usually histamine. You scratch them with histamine, which everyone reacts to. And then you you I'm scratch so them. <laughs> you scratch them with saline, something very inert or something they shouldn't react to. So if that person reacts to the sperm, then yes, they might be allergic to, or they might be irritated by whatever's in it. So then you have to like decide whether it's the sperm or something else. Most people, if you're allergic, you're going to make a reaction to that. So that's what, but you're basing that test, not because you think they might be allergic to it, but because the patient's telling you like, whenever I have sex, I have an allergic reaction. So this is follow up to to what Johnny's asking is like, okay, so you have somebody that's suspecting, like, I have an allergic reaction to my partner. How, like, I, I mean, I guess you don't do that. You don't know is what it sounds like. But it's, I mean, what are the next steps? Like, are you getting their sperm and, like, centrifuging it and then stare? Like, what? I, I have no idea. You're nodding your head yes. Yes, it's I am nodding medium. my head yes. <laughs> so, yes. Greg, Wow. Very smart answer. I'm educated. Oh my gosh, yes. So you're absolutely right, Greg. So they're probably centrifuging the sperm, um, isolating just sperm, and maybe some other whatever peripheral proteins you might have in there. And they're trying to figure out, are you allergic to the sperm or allergic to something else that your partner is contributing? Because most often these situations are people trying to conceive or... Um, trying to have a healthy sexual relationship with their partner and they're trying to figure out what is it about their partner that is contributing to it because it's either that or just use a condom. Because if you use a condom, then you're probably not getting exposed to whatever you're allergic to. But I have a latex allergy. Okay, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) But um, so most often... Yeah, most often these, these referrals are because people are trying to conceive or trying to not use something that is 
protecting them from their partner's sperm. So yes, yes, that part of the process is trying to figure out what they're allergic to, which would involve like centrifuging it out. So yes, very good question. When you're doing scratch tests and like in my head, when I think of what you're doing in your clinic, I'm like, oh, she's doing, she's like laying out a grid on somebody's back and scratching people with a bunch of stuff to see what they're allergic to. Is, I mean, does that have any credence at all or? Yeah, so the stuff that we're scratching people to in the clinic has already been predetermined to be of non-irritating concentrations to most humans. So like most of the stuff is standardized. It's been shown to like not induced like like raised red lesions on people who are not allergic. Like it's stuff that if you react to it, you're allergic. If you're not, you're not allergic. So it's been standardized, meaning like they've tested on a bunch of people and they're like, this is not irritating. It's gentle. If you're allergic, you're going to have a reaction. If you're not, you're not. What's but, the most common allergen? I mean, it depends on where you are. But yes, like Mole. animals, probably, and um, <laughs> grasses, pollens, mostly. Um, depends where you live. If you live somewhere dry like California, molds are very rare. But if you live where I did fellowship in New Orleans, molds are very common. So, I mean, it just depends. I'll stop putting so. you on the spot. I'm sorry. I'm just curious. No, I, I like to When educate. I talk to Jackson, he never tells me anything worthwhile. So. <laughs> what? No, I got I find that shocking. I got nothing. <laughs> I taught Jackson everything he knows. That's why. Mm, also, that's shocking. Uh, very good. As a family medicine doctor, <laughs> if you have a latex allergy, which is a possible thing, you should still use protection when you have sex. You should always use protection unless you're in a committed relationship. That's when the star goes across the that's screen. That's the more you yeah. know thing. Yeah. That's, that's the one moment of medical advice. That I will get. In, yeah. this, in this episode. There are other things that, on the episode that kind of made me, at least from an ER perspective, that kind of got me, was um, when she was in the MRI machine, and they were trying to do more tests on her, and she had a breathing tube in her throat. <laughs> yeah. And they just yanked it out. Yeah, you know, that was a really, that was the thing I had the most problem with in this episode is that they had very poor airway control. Yes. In an emergency situation, it, it goes ABC, airway, breathing, circulation. You have to maintain someone's airway. And they, sh- like, she has a maintained airway. She has uh, an ET tube in, right? Yep. So that's a that's a tube that is an established airway. The, even if the throat gets swollen up, it can't crush the tube. But they just pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the... Like the yeah. worst thing you and could possibly usually do. there's a balloon there too. Yeah. So yeah. they just yanked it out. The balloon. the balloon. Where's the balloon? The balloon is below your vocal cords. Whoa. Okay. See, I thought when you talked about the balloon, I thought you were talking about like the bag that they would no, use no, no. to to. You mean the bag that accepts the blood coming from the chest tube that we talked about in the yeah, blacklist? Yeah, in, in the blacklist. Yeah. Uh, the same thing, only with air. Yeah. Um, and you know, you correctly. Um, but yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that when you talked about balloon, it was something no, below that, your vocal cord. I yeah. may have missed it, but I mean, when I was watching that scene, I did not see them deflate it. So no, usually, no, he just pulled it. it just I mean, it usually you have to like deflate, so move the air out of that balloon, so you can easily pass it through and move it out. But it the seems like was, they just yanked it. And she was fully awake during the entire MRI kind of procedure. And usually, if they're intubated like that, you want to sedate them because because they, they come move up, around. Yeah, not, imagine if you have something. Literally in your airway, like it's irritating. Yeah. Even even if 
even if you're aware of what's going on and you know that you need it in there, it's still too irritating for you to calmly sit there. It's like something you. stuck in your throat constantly. I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I have vocal cords and I'm really uncomfortable right now yeah. by this whole concept. And here's the thing. You can't talk with the tube down your right. throat because your vocal cords can't move. Which is which is why House, you know, did the the, the pull start but on the... I, I mean, <laughs> he did do it. He tried to start that lawnmower. <laughs> but... The... <laughs> If you're going to do that, you want two knees on the chest before you pull. Yeah. Oh, really really good advice. Going. <laughs> but it's it's like he he pulls out the tube to potentially communicate with her, mm-hmm. but she's not able to say anything the entire time. I mean, she wouldn't be able to because her cords would be damaged, but also she's too out of it, even in the show, to respond. I mean, mm-hmm. she's basically coming in and out of consciousness. Um, it's just, that was the part that was really frustrating. Like, no matter what other discussion that you have... You have a person who is pretty stable, and you have an established airway. You would not remove that, so that then you can argue about what to do. Yeah, next. so that, so then you can argue about what to do next and ask then if, there, if they'd had sex more and, than once. And then the follow-up was in between questioning. They would put the mask on her face and then like <laughs> blow, like give her breaths. That's really uncomfortable. Like you're yeah. basically blowing air into your stomach, into your lungs. It's like someone blew... If you stood in front of a mega fan and just blowing air into your face, right. you it's can't a, talk. It's like a dog with its head out the window. Yeah. Every, it's, everything is getting that air. It's not just the, the lungs. But when you have the ET tube in, you are making sure it's just going into the... It's, it's like you have the perfect setup, and then to basically create a countdown timer, you're like, screw this, I'm pulling this tube out. <laughs> now, well, House, now we have an emergency. House knew that there were only seven minutes left in the episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so the countdown timer was already established. <laughs> just to, just to clarify, ET tube means endotracheal tube, so the tube is going through <laughs> yeah. the trachea, <laughs> past like multiple passageways into the lungs, so you know that the air that you're blowing in is going to the lungs, as opposed to like other orifices. Because it was just named so. after the movie because it was long right. his neck. Yes, yes. correct. That and is... they had that scene with the bicycle in the moon, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's the same joke! Why are you all looking at me like I'm crazy? It's also to fit Reese's Pieces down her throat. <laughs> yes. See? Third time's a charm? Yeah. Screw you. That's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> it got weird. Um, but I guess the final diagnosis they came upon was tick paralysis. Yeah. Which House found by essentially violating someone? Stopping an elevator. Stopping an elevator. I mean, so when did that... That was probably, what, 2005 when this episode came? I'm just taking a stab. I have no yeah. idea. Could you sorry. could you have this episode now? I mean, there, I, I again, I'm not a doctor. 2006. And I'm also like, but I read things, and that's become a big thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing any exam. Like, that it, big thing in the media, multiple rather. chaperones. Like, I'll have the nurse and sometimes a parent in there just to make sure my bases are covered. Right. Because they can say one thing, and you're done. Mm-hmm. So anytime any kind of exam like that happens, there's multiple people in the room. And I know it's really uncomfortable for whoever gets the exam, male or female. I have to protect myself. So that is a common thing that happens. Yeah. Consent matters in medicine. You, it's a weird thing. If your life is on the line, people are allowed to kind of do their job and try to protect you however they try to protect your life ultimately however they can. But also, you are going to have a witness in there to make sure that you didn't do anything weird. Probably more than one witness in there, oh, especially yeah. if you are same sex or opposite sex, whatever. No, probably just multiple witnesses, no matter Period. what at this point. So, so in a normal... That's student, yeah. 
a normal non-house situation. He would have been right to make that examination to look for the tick, not right to do it in right no right for the, for that examination to happen. No, needs consent. He needs the patient needs to agree, or whoever. I mean, if she's a minor, then the patient's representative needs to agree. But it's like you can't do stuff to a person without their consent. That's assault. Even if you are a doctor, you have like. There is a legal part of that that you have. To what if it was a life or death? So that changes. Yeah, that's things. that's that's what I mean. That's right. what I'm saying. He would he was in in the right in that it was a life or death situation potentially, not in the right he because was, he stopped an elevator to do it. Right. Yeah, he's in the wrong because he created that situation. Well, yeah. But if he didn't find yeah. the tick, ooh, yeah, that would have been really. I mean, that's. We don't know. Don't, don't touch someone. It's a unless tough situation in that episode because we don't know if it's life or death. Like. Another, the other doctor was like, this patient needs to go to the ICU, and they were on their way to the ICU. It was just one elevator ride, and then he paused the elevator to yeah, prove I himself mean, right, which I don't think would ever be appropriate. Like, if you not. have a designated place that you're supposed to be transporting your patient, you have to stabilize that patient until the point you get to your destination, which was not done in this episode. Like, in my opinion. No, they, they did. Like, she was stable, and then they created an Then they created a situation, situation where she wasn't, and I don't know. I mean... No one should be using the elevator stop button. Like, it's I'm crazy. Not, <laughs> like, that whole episode. You know those aren't even connected, right? I mean, I don't know. All it does not an elevator repair podcast, Not an elevator maintenance podcast, but when we do one, because I think it's come up before... It was self-created. It wasn't like elevator the elevator repair. malfunction. Did the elevator malfunction in the episode, or was it a self-stop? It was a self-stop. Okay. Yeah. It was a full house stop. Yeah. I just, I just wonder if that's an episode where you, like, that's clearly played as a joke. Yes. Where, oh, look for, at how, like, he's doing the right, like, yeah. he's finding it and he's solving the situation, but it's like, I don't even think that episode makes it on air anymore. Like, yeah. yeah. You don't get to spend time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> around down there. Other regions yeah. without their consent. I'm going to take it back, well, uh, for one more question, okay. not the question, not the question. These house episodes are twenty-two minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, they're forty-eight. 40, yeah, 40 we're already minutes. we're already longer than the episode. We'll keep going. So they talked about as a diagnostic tool injecting a rat with her blood to find out if she had botulism or something. You're giving me the same look that I had. There's a way easier way to check botulism. You look at their poop. That is the easiest way to do it. Uh, please explain further, because I don't know what you're So that about. is actually how you check for the antigen for botulism, is you go through their stool. Oh, you're not looking at it, you're taking a stool sample Correct. and doing stuff. To, okay. Yeah. The <laughs> answer is, <laughs> like, you just look at their poop. Yeah, I look at it like, mm-hmm. it's purple. Botulism. But does it taste like botulism? Tangy. <laughs> but that's actually how you're supposed to check, is you're checking through their stool, not taking someone's blood and then injecting it into a rat. Is that something that would ever be done ever? I've never ordered a blood test to be injected into a rat. Hospitals don't have rats. Have you considered it? I mean, (laughs) hold on. Are you thinking of it now? Some hospitals have rats, just not in the testing capacity you think of. They just share your food. Correct. But we've never, I've never ordered that before. That that sort of, so that was kind of the second differential diagnosis. So every house episode starts with, uh, the cold open where patient is doing something and then they pass out and have a seizure. They always have a seizure. Then they end up at hospi- <laughs> House's hospital 
and they, they like kind of give you a little bit of the background what you just saw and then they run through everything lucas is always on there and then later in the episode after they've done some tests they do the secondary differential where it's like we've eliminated this and eliminated this and blah 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 and that's the point when i was like oh that's right this is learning med school like that is what the testing is like that is why we all have watched the, sh the show and enjoy it because you remember these stupid like oh that was on that episode of house this happened and this happened yeah so it was like oh i remember why i like this show and then immediately as they start saying things like oh yeah you gotta inject her into a rat and maybe she has botulism and and it's like this has no application to actual clinical medicine like it's wonderful and entertaining to watch and then it immediately becomes just n like nonsense with that unless we've got more to add i have a question uh nisha you are probably familiar with this question from having listened but question mark <laughs> question mark um if you made it this far this far into our episodes um but the human centipede yes Bills itself as 100% medically accurate. If that's the case, how medically accurate is season two, episode 16 of House MD safe? Are you are you asking any of us in any particular? I'm going to ask you first because you spoke up first. I should have said nothing. What uh, I should have said was nothing. Nothing. Um, I'm going to say that it's about 70% accurate. To the human centipede. Oh, no, no, no. Not to the human centipede. Yeah, compared because to... Because if the human centipede is 100%... Well, what did I, well, what did I say in... I, no, no, no. That's never how I've taken that question. <laughs> because the human centipede is not 100% If that's the case. The case. But because if that's the case, then this is 580% accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's always in comparison to the human centipede. I mean, if human centipede says it's 100... Right. We're gonna that's, say why, it's that's why Home Alone was 140. But that's not what I... Okay. You know what? I need to listen to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember much from that episode. Podcast juice. Uh, yeah, I so never fun. laughed harder editing something <laughs> than yeah. I did our Home Alone episode. Me neither. That, mean, was, that was so informative. All right. that so, so, so Greg says 580-ish. Yeah, I, I think they do a really good job depicting what an anaphylactic emergency may look like, which has been confirmed by people that actually sort of seen them. I have never seen them. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, it seems like that's fair. And then the general idea of medicine that happens in a hospital is sort of depicted in the way that House depicts it, in the sense that doctors do talk about things. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> doctors have conversations. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to talk about things. Wow. I mean, that's the best I can... Uh, that's my, like, yeah. my biggest problem is all of a sudden... They're like saying, do these tests, do this. Those tests take days and days to come back. With. It's like, you have to do the thing where the patient doesn't die first. Yeah. Like, that's number one. And in-house, that gets lost so quickly. Because it's... Even though they stop the patient. Because, because it's more important... Well, <laughs> it's those damn rats. But it's, <laughs> sorry. It's more important in-house to know that you're right than to save the patient. I mean, it's certainly more important for Dr. Gregory House to know that he's right. I thought you were going to go a different path there. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gregory Winter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always wrong. I'm fine with it. 300%. 300%. That is the highest number that Jackson has given. I think that... Uh, it's true, though. It is pretty accurate in certain things. I can't 
the ethics being wrong doesn't take away from the medical I mean, accuracy. That often makes it more medically accurate. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty accurate. I will say that. Like the tick paralysis stuff, it's a little weird, but I mean that's a re- it's just a real shaky diagnosis to it begin is. with. But they they trexplained it. It's fine. I believe it. <laughs> trexplained is a good term. Yes. That's our that's our new T-shirt. I'm fine with it. Yeah. So I don't think we got into the final diagnosis of this episode, but <laughs> no, I... Yeah, um, we, did, we just went straight yeah, to... Yeah, I feel like he just mentioned the, it, but... This um, is not an insect podcast. So. Yes, I know. But um, I maybe 100% because this is one of my first episodes. So you want to have room to grow. Yeah, I, I, I just feel no, like... What you're saying is it's as medically accurate... Yeah, as, as I would expect it to be. No, 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 no. Oh, as the, as the human centipede. centipede. Okay. Yeah, the human centipede is, but, is our baseline. But I feel uh, like... Have you seen the human centipede? No, I haven't, no. so oh. I have nothing to compare it to. So I should not be talking right now. It looks like we're going to be However, doing human centipede too, whilst in New York. <laughs> However, I do feel like um, what I witnessed today in this episode was mostly medically accurate for what they were trying to portray. However, I feel like they're the intent of what they were trying to portray was very inaccurate. Like, their interpretation of what was happening, like, what they were showing was probably what you should do, but the way they were responding to what was happening was inaccurate because none of that would ever have happened in the time space that the episode took place, which is every house episode. And honestly, like, the patient did well in the end, which probably would have been the outcome anyway, despite anything they did which is exactly what we we hope to have in medicine is that like whatever we do should do no harm which i would say yes most like they met all that criteria for me no i don't think they did wow that was the longest roundabout to, <laughs> i don't think they just did just as accurate as a human center they yeah. saved her she so was let, in the hospital, and that's you, where I if left you let it. a tick suck long enough it will either unlatch itself or it will explode and that tick would have left her. And had she had an ET tube in and been supported from her airway and circulation otherwise, she would have been just fine. Secondary question, how would we keep make this episode more medically accurate while keeping the stakes high? Boom. Or wouldn't we? I mean, a lot of the stakes remained high. Um, House doing inappropriate stuff definitely kept the stakes high. Stopping the elevator... Sexually violating a teenage girl. Stakes were high. <laughs> the stakes are very high. I, th- I think they... So in, in medicine in general, especially in a hospital, and especially in a teaching institution, there is a clear hierarchy. There is there's a lot of discussion that happens that patients and families do not see, but by the time people come into a room, there is one person that is talking, and there is no arguing about it with the other people on your team. That is something that's never come up, like in this podcast so far. I sort of said it before, but I didn't. I wasn't as articulate. Podcast Sorry, <laughs> Podcast But yeah, you're. I mean, you're right. It's a thing that I'm thinking well, about. Like, like I, to to that extent, yeah. Yeah, and I. Um, I mean, that is the that is the entertainment of house is these super smart people arguing with each other, but really, if you're if you're in any of these situations where a patient's Vital signs are going down, like they're crashing. That's what's like literally. This would be a code situation if someone's blood pressure is going down, their heart rate's going down. You aren't trying to. F- you're doing less trying to figure out why that's happening and more trying to make sure that stops happening. Yeah. And that's a thing that 
is never addressed in house because they always solve it like oh we got the worms out of your brain and now you're not seizing right. anymore like first yeah, we're gonna yeah, stop yeah. your seizure that's what we're gonna do first and then worm then then we deal with the worm yeah sorry is this not the worm episode no it's not the worm episode i love the worm episode there's a worm episode? I think there's anaphylaxis in that, too. That's a future episode. Are we going to like do a double feature with that in Futurama? I'm not a one-trick Probably. pony. Like I can do other episodes. Like it's No, you can only be involved. For, you're all, I, I'm only on for hospice episodes. <laughs> like Home Alone. <laughs> Two bumbling thieves. Two bumbling thieves. Three bumbling doctors. Ah. All right. Uh, with that, uh, thank you, everybody, for being a part of this. We'll be back next week with more Hi Everybody, a Bad Medicine podcast. Yes. Yes.